Welcome again. I'm Margie Ross. I am the other part of the fearless duo of Linda Teets and Margie Ross, who are standing in for Michelle because no one person could <laughs> fill in for Michelle. So we had to do it um, as a twosome. Um, but now we are at a very special part of our evening, which is the presentation of the Woman of the Year Award. Um, and as many of you know, the mission of the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women is to prepare and promote conservative women leaders. And so this afternoon we had a wonderful um, program which was designed to, dedicated to preparing um, young conservative leaders, future leaders, and we do that through not only the, the summit that we did this afternoon, but also conferences and campus lectures and regional summits all over the country, and hope that you are able to join us for some of those um, in the coming months and years. We couldn't do as much as we wanted to in uh, you know 2020 and even in the first half of 2021, but we're getting back into the swing of things and have a bunch of programs and events scheduled. So hopefully we will see a lot of you um, at one or more of those. Um, but in addition to preparing uh, future leaders, we also are dedicated to promoting some of our most notable current female conservative leaders. And um, that's one of the reasons that we have started this program, um, which has been running for at least 15 years of giving an annual Woman of the Year Award. And um, as I'm sure some of you have uh, attended some of those events before and know some of the amazing women who have won those awards, including Babe Buchanan, Phyllis Schlafly, uh, Sarah Palin, Katie Pavlich, um, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Kellyanne Conway, um, Kaylee McEnany, Molly Hemingway, um, just an amazing list of, uh, of women who have taken leadership roles and helped um, pave the way for all of us to um, to pursue our conservative values and hopefully make the world a better place. And um, today, tonight, we have the honor, I have the honor of introducing this year's winner of the uh, Woman of the Year Award, and that is the new Lieutenant Governor of my very own state of Virginia. Um, it's heartwarming to me. We were all very excited last November with the results of the election. And of course, that's Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, who is here with us today. Um, as you may know, um, Lieutenant Governor Sears is a native of Jamaica and emigrated here, immigrated into the United States when she was six years old, and she has been serving ever since. Um, she served in the uh, Marine Corps. She served um, as the Vice President of the Virginia State Board of Education, and you know education was of course a huge issue in this most recent election. Um, she's been a presidential appointee to the U.S. Census Bureau. She's co she was co-chair of the African American Committee on Advisory Committees, and she's just been an amazing public servant for the state of Virginia and for the country for, um, for many, many years. And so we are delighted to have her um, join the ranks of the Claire Booth Luce Center's Women of the Year roster. Um, she's here with her husband, Terrence, two of her daughters, and we are delighted to have you all here. And um, I'd like to have you come up and accept this award on behalf of all of us. And we have this beautiful. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, we're going to take a picture right here. <laughs> All right. We get a treat. Oh, you. Mark. So now I'm going to have fingerprints all over it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that a little Windex can. <laughs> you want me to hold it here? Ah, yes. Yeah. Thank you. You got it. Let me get my remarks. 
Hello to you ladies and gents. Hello. Yes. <laughs> That's customary. We say hello back. It's so good to see all of you and to be with you. And I got to tell you, I this is not anything I had ever wanted to do. I never, ever wanted to be lieutenant governor. Never, ever. Did I say that? Yes. And But here I am. And you, you ask yourself, well, how did you get here if you didn't want to be it? And it's a, an interesting question because I, I used to see all the others running for lieutenant governor and, you know, in Virginia, the lieutenant governor is not chosen by the governor uh, as the running mate. We run separately. And, and so you have to win on your own. And, and that means you have to raise your money on your own. You have to do everything on your own. And um, it, it's a little bit more, a little bit harder, I think, because most people give all the attention to the gubernatorial candidate. And, uh, and then you just have to keep going and keep going. We in Virginia did a little something differently in that even though we were running on our own, we sort of ran together because when you saw us, we would get off the bus together, you know, and we would get on the plane together. We would do so many things together. So we ran as a team, all three of us. And it, I, I think that helped to kind of unify, you know, all of us. It was very interesting times. What I want to talk to you about is, uh, as young ladies and gents and in between, <laughs> is that sometimes the heroes don't wear capes and they have corns. Did you get that? They have corns. Corns on the feet. Corns. Corns. Yeah, and you're all looking at my feet now, but it's okay. Not really talking about me. I want to say to you the things that I have said to my daughters, and I, and I think, you know, if my, my grandmother is really the person who helped me to become who I am today, grandparents have time. You know, your mom and dad, they're all out trying to get things done, and, but grandparents have time for you. And it is this, and I'm going to say it in no special order. You're going to make mistakes. You are going to make mistakes. Don't think that they're going to always define you. Learn from those mistakes. It's just one more thing. One more thing. Because the truth of the matter is you don't get out of here unscathed. Your life isn't straight like this. It's up and it's down, it's up, it's down, it's down, it's up again, it's horizontal, then it comes vertical, and my life is an example of that. 20 years ago, I was first elected to office. It was a miraculous thing. It really was. because, And so I can take no credit for it. Because I ran as a Republican in a district that's 58% black, 62% Democrat overall. I was running against a man who had had the position for 11 years. His father had had it for 20 years before him. And I had no money. I only had three months to run. And nobody knew who I was. And so what can you say? And then I had the temerity to take the kids with my husband and go to Disneyland because we had promised them. and. Yeah, it's who does that? <laughs> well, I do. And, and then we won. And we won because we had convinced enough people, I think, and the Lord was with us to let folks know that we intended to do right. And it also helped that my opponent hadn't really ever knocked on any doors and had got com complacent. So I've been gone for 20 years. And I looked at the landscape. I could see that, in my mind, we were going to lose again. And I couldn't let that happen because you can either light a candle or you can curse the darkness. Right? To light a candle is to find the solution. To curse the darkness is to be a victim. 
And you can complain and gripe and moan and do all that, or you can offer yourself, or you can work for a candidate, or you can, if you're not officially working, you can volunteer, you can phone, make phone calls and you know knock on doors, whatever it is. But if you want to change, you've got to help to make the change. I was telling someone this morning, pray with your hands, pray with your feet, pray with your money, pray with your mouth, certainly, pray with your ears, pray and then go and do. Another thing is, life has not passed you by. Some of you are so young and some of you are already thinking that life has passed you by. It has not done so. I didn't get into politics until I had, well, yeah, I was still going for my master's degree. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was 18 years old and my grandmother had died and I thought my life was over. I went back to Jamaica for her funeral. I was all set for college. I had my books ready, my, my coursework ready, and I was supposed to start that August and she died and the funeral was that July. I looked at her in the casket and I said, what's the point of living if you're just going to die? All the life she's ever lived, all of that, it's of no value, of no use. So I told my mother, I'm just gonna stay here and die. And she said, well, if you're gonna stay here and die, I've got some rules for you. <laughs> You got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this too, and then you have to do that. And, and I thought, well, I'm going back to America. Because <laughs> nobody tells me what to do in America. <laughs> but I was still lost. And, and so in between that decision and the time of my flight back to America, I happened to look at the coffee table and there was a jet magazine and I flipped it open and it said the few, the proud, the Marines. And I said, yes, that's what I need. The Marines, I need some discipline and they're going to give me many reasons to live. And did they ever. So I didn't get to college until I had three children under five. Three children under five. And by then I was, I think, 25, 26, you see. And so because I thought that I had started behind uh, and I still wanted to get to law school because that's what I'd always wanted to do. I wanted to be a lawyer and I, I didn't want to be 40 and wonder what if, you know. And, and so I, I, I was a junior and a senior in the same year that I was a freshman and, you know, because I was taking all of the courses out of, you know, order because I was trying to go, I, was, I, I had to go, I had to go. And consequently, I don't remember two years of my children's lives. I just don't remember it. My husband took the kids somewhere and when they were beating on the door because they were babies, you know, I would have to close the door, I have to study. And I wish I could have taken that back. So you have time. You do have time. Don't, don't rush through life. Enjoy it. You'll get there. If it's supposed to be, it will be. Take your time. The other thing is, your life is your life. It's not somebody else's life. And you can't live somebody else's life. For example, I recognized one day that I was living my grandmother's life. Yeah, how so? Well, because she grew up, or maybe she didn't grow up because it was after the Depression, so she was part of the Depression, but she said that um, they would buy the bread, it already had the mold on it, and they would scrape it off and eat it. And, and so I, start, I was doing that, you know, I did, you know, and they told me it was penicillin, so, you know. And I thought, well, it didn't kill her. You know. <laughs> so here we are. And, but one day I thought, no, I don't want that. This is not the Great Depression. <laughs> you know, um, and they, they, they came from a time of what if, or you never know. You know, why do you have a broken toilet in the backyard? Well, you never know. <laughs> you know, 
why do you have so many of the well you never know you know you never know when you're gonna need so yeah your life is your life and there is a saying you were born an original don't die a copy there is not another one like you even if you're a twin you know that you have your own spirit within you you are you you're distinguishable you're an original you're a masterpiece so be you don't be anybody else be you here's the other thing this field that you're in you might as well say to yourself well let's come to some realities and write these down not what I'm about to say the realities that you're gonna say to yourself the realities for me would be they're gonna speak really nasty things about you okay are you willing to still stay in the game another one would be people are going to try to abuse you are you willing to still stay in the game people are going to twist your words are you still willing to stay in the game people are going to fill in the blank you can fill in the blank because you've experienced certain things by now so start saying to yourself this is what's going to happen one two three four five six seven and then just say okay this is it this is what is going to happen and either I'm going to have to be okay with it or I need to get out now because it's not going to get any better and remember what I said the heroes they don't wear capes the real ones because they have fits and they have starts and they get in they get out and even if they stay in for a long time you you know that they're they're not these jovial always bold and brave and you know you can see the cape flying behind them no human beings they're human beings and they hurt and they 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 scream and holler and you know about things that happen they're not these bold and courageous people all the time nobody is I mean you 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 remember the story about Joshua where God told him three times no God told him four times no actually he told him about seven times be strong and be courageous why do you have to tell him that many times Joshua should know what it takes because he was with Moses the whole time and he saw the miracles he saw I mean we can't even think how does water stand up as a wall and allow people to go through you know so many things the manna from heaven all that Moses face glowing Moses up on the mountainside or the mountaintop he was on the mountainside waiting for him to come down if you recall 40 days and 40 nights without eating it, and yet God had to tell him be strong and be courageous not once not twice not three times not six but seven times so you're human you're human you're human just run with it run with what you have you hear about my life and you think that it's charmed and it's all that well maybe you don't think it's charmed that's all <laughs> some people think it's charmed and all that but it's not I mean you're looking at someone who is a single mother and yet here I am lieutenant governor of Virginia you're looking at someone who a back injury uh, from the Marine Corps when my husband had to take a lower paying job so he could be home with the children so I could go to college because he already had his degree we ended up having to declare bankruptcy just to save our house and here I am lieutenant governor you're looking at someone who didn't have her college degree until so many years after and I mean I didn't follow this path that we're supposed to follow and yet here I am lieutenant governor second in command 
And, uh, you know, if anything happens to our governor, hello. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Glenn should get a food tester. You didn't hear that from me. But I've been known to deliver an apple or two. Yeah, some of you just got that. But what I'm saying to you is, relax. Relax. Even now I have to tell myself, relax. Even I, and I'm 58, and I still have to tell myself to relax. Because I want to go, 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 and I can't. I can't do it. In fact, yesterday, I... There was a meeting that I was supposed to go and make a presentation, and I could not get out of the car. I was dressed and could not get out of the car. I was so tired. I had overbooked myself, and I could not move. I couldn't get out. So even now, I have to remind myself, you are not superwoman. You know, you're, you're just winsome. And in fact, today, there was something else I had to tell myself. And I was listening to Vody Bauckham. Some of you have heard about him. And he went to, he was preaching from Acts, Acts chapter 4. And what he was saying was, you remember that the disciples were told, Peter, and I think it was John, they were told not to preach anymore, and not to do this and, and do that. And and then he said, but how do you tell dead men not to preach anymore? How do you threaten dead men? Because they had already died, right? They had given their lives. They were ready to go. And, and so I thought, hmm, there's one thing that I have kept saying, and it's this. I really don't care about too much except I must protect my reputation. And so I make sure that I don't say certain things. I make sure I do certain things and because I want to protect my reputation. It's always good to do that. But now I'm saying to myself, hmm, maybe I need to let that go too. I'm going to die to that because I just told you they are going to speak ill of you no matter what you do. You could, you could save the world and it doesn't matter. They will call you everything but a child of God. So... I've decided I'm going to let that go too because, you know, uh, you can protect it, protect it, protect it, and, and for what? So I'm just going to, again, be winsome. I'm going to be the original. Right? I'm going to let them say what they want to say because they are. The media is not my friend. You know that. Not your friend. And um, the media, academia, uh, entertainment world. Uh, you name it, we're not our friends, you know, because we don't think like they think, and they're not partial like they should be. So you keep being you, and you do what you're supposed to do, and you'll be just fine. You will be just fine. You're not on anybody's timetable. You're not even on your timetable. It will happen when it's supposed to happen, and not a minute sooner. And Lord knows I have tried before to make it happen. <laughs> and it just won't. And if you force it, you're going to fail. Or you can force it and you'll get there, but you won't be ready. And then that's when you'll pray, Oh, Lord, why didn't you stop me when I could He tried to. <laughs> but you were bound and determined. You were bound and determined. So... Relax again. Enjoy the ride. You'll have time to get there when you're supposed to get there. And you'll meet people along the way. And you know what they say. You'll meet them on the way up. <laughs> and you'll meet them on the way down. And I've been gone from politics for 20 years. And I can tell you the day that I announced that I was not going to seek re-election, I think the next day the phone stopped ringing. Nobody wanted my opinions anymore. 
Nobody calls, no cameras in my face, no newspapers, no, I mean, the phone stopped. And by the way, the lobbyists called and said, we want our check back. <laughs> yes. You see, so, yeah, I was back to being a nobody, but that was okay, because I was always a nobody anyway. See, if you remember that, you'll be fine. So, always again remember that life goes on. If you haven't heard the story about the styrofoam cup, then I'll send you a link to it. And then, <laughs> and you'll remember that all you ever deserve is the styrofoam cup. And, uh, you know, there, there is the one story, and I want to hear your thoughts. And so you can ask the questions. But there is the one story about uneducated men who changed the world. And so you would say that we're farther along than they are, right? Um, they were fishermen, so they stunk. They were carpenters, you know, had sawdust and everything. And yet they changed the world. Right? As the Acts chapter 4 uh, tells us, they said, well, who are these unlearned men? And where did they get this kind of knowledge from? And then they said, oh, these are the men who have been with Jesus. Think about that. That's all they had to recommend them. These are the men that had been with Jesus. And if that's how you're known, these are the women who have been with Jesus. These are the women who know the Lord. Then you'll be fine. You'll be just fine. Because the truth is, in the final analysis, if he's not going, like Moses said, then I don't want to go either. I don't want to go where he's not. I don't want to speak where he's not. Uh, I don't want to say things where he's not because guess what? I'll have to apologize. And I hate apologizing. <laughs> So let me just try to do it right the first time. Okay, any questions? Any questions? Yes, ma'am. When are you running for president? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as you recall, I wasn't born here. So I can't, I can't be anywhere in the line of succession. So that's one thing I don't have to do. <laughs> Anybody else? Uh, so, hand over here. Yes, ma'am. So I'm curious about um, what is the plan um, for election integrity to be increased in Virginia? Mm -hmm. We took them by storm, of course, because uh, I think about 90% of our districts were covered by precinct captains and, you know, election officers and volunteers. So everyone's looking at Virginia because we really showed them how to yep. do it. But what are we doing now is to take some steps forward for the, this election in November in 2024? to make sure that the machines are out, mail-in voting is decreased. Mm -hmm. Give us some words of your wisdom, Winston. What are we doing? Well, as you know, uh, four years ago, 2016, after that election, there was a morning consult poll that showed 65% of Democrats felt that the election was not free and fair. And then uh, 2020, it was our turn, where now 70% of Republicans felt that the election was not free nor fair. So nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. Well, that's not good. That's not good. So there was in 1985, uh, no, no, not 2005, a bipartisan federal election commission. It was headed by, co-headed by Jimmy Carter, president, and Secretary of State James Baker on the Republican side. They came up with 87 different recommendations. Most of them are more pertinent to the federal level, but certainly some of them are we can use on the state level. One of them would be to have a photo ID. I mean, you can't get anything done without a photo ID. You know, can't get on a plane, can't do anything, can't cash a check, can't do anything. So that was one of them. Another one would be, way back then, they recommended this, and it was that... Um, we shouldn't have uh, ballot harvesting. You know, we have to have a chain of custody. Uh, once it left the voters' hands, 
where did it go? Was it open? Was it tampered with? Was it even delivered? You know, um, another one was again no drop boxes. Uh, there there were six different proposals. They were all put through this year, and they all failed because we don't have or we have a Democratic Senate. So we can put forward all the plans we want if the Democrats don't want it and we don't have at least one uh, crossover vote from the Democrats, then it's done. So as soon as we can get a Democratic uh, Senate gone and you know we have a majority or at least a, a tie-breaking vote where I can vote, then we're going to have what we have. But I, I find it very interesting that when the Democrats put something on, they always ask for a photo ID. Why? Don't you trust the people? <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. So that's why we need to, you know, elections have consequences, as a former president said. So that's why we got we to gotta get, uh, get out and get, get to work. Yes, anybody else? Sears, hi. Hi. I'm Linda Kendall. Um, congratulations on such a well-deserved award. Um, I want to get a little bit of your thoughts on what is going on in the schools and um, what advice do you have for people like me that are trying to um, remove all inappropriate material, whether it's in the curriculum or um, in the public school libraries, because it, it is inappropriate um, on top of um, well, you know, I, I'm trying to get past the symptoms and get to the root. And the root of the matter, as I see it, is that parents really don't have a choice in where their children attend school. And I think we ought to have that. Now, they say that, well, the other side says they don't want private, no, public money is going to private institutions, right? Well, let's consider that. You have Medicare and Medicaid. That's public money that funds private doctors, right? There is no public hospital that this money goes to. You have uh, SNAP food benefits. There is no public grocery store. So that money, public money, goes to private grocery stores and other places. You have Section 8 vouchers. That's private public money that goes to private landlords, right? And other places. And by the way, student loans. That's public money that goes to sometimes, yes, government, state-owned, you know, institutions, but for the most part, private institutions. So how is it then, when it comes to K through 12, you can't have the parents making the decision on where to send their children to school? So I think if we have that, then we don't have to argue about the rest. Because you see, right now, uh, if our budget holds, we have $789 million, I believe, dedicated in Virginia to K through 12 education, $789 million. And what are we getting for our money? So if some of that money went to parents, so the money follows the child and not the brick building, we stop worshiping the brick building, then things would be different. Because you see, if, if I need my child to learn how to read and write and do arithmetic, because that's what's going to pay for me when I'm in nursing homes. <laughs> then that's what I need. You know, that's what the child needs. The child needs that. I, I, you know, this other stuff that I, I'll teach that other stuff. But give me my money so I can make that determination. We can, the same way we have Section 8 vouchers is the same way we can have education vouchers. We call them, for now, ESAs. But... I would like, and I'm pushing for a referendum in Virginia so that we can change the Constitution so that parents can make that decision. You want to keep your child in public school? Do that. You want to homeschool? Do that. 
You want private parochial school? You want a hybrid? Whatever it is. Your child, your choice. That's what we need. Yes, ma'am. Um, who's like a leader in politics that you admire and why? One of my leaders is, uh, well, she's not here. Golda Meir, first prime minister of Israel. I, you know, now that's a hero if I, if I ever saw one. And then Maggie Thatcher. Yeah. Yep. Always loved her. Winston Churchill, always loved him. And then, uh, now there's somebody you don't know about, um, Samuel Sharp. Samuel Sharp was a Baptist preacher, black Baptist preacher from Jamaica. And most people know that William Wilberforce helped to get rid of slavery. But what they don't know is that it's because of Jamaica why it was truly gone because Sam Sharp went around and talked to the slaves all about God and then he before there was a Gandhi who said that we're gonna have peaceful revolution he proposed that and unfortunately it turned violent and many many people were killed a lot of the masters were killed a lot of the slaves were killed and out of that rebellion out of that slave rebellion, it was, that's when England said, you know, the slavery thing isn't worth it after all. So that and William Wilberforce is what convinced them to get rid of slavery. Someone nobody ever heard about. We Jamaicans know about him. But uh, that was a God thing. That was a God thing. And then another thing is, um, you know, people say, slavery you know the bible the bible is uh, argues for it and the truth of the matter is they don't know their bible because paul was the one that said if you are a slave and you can get your freedom take it and the only reason why he sent Phil uh, onesimus back to philemon or is it philemon back to onesimus was because he was a christian and he said when you receive him, don't treat him like a slave. Remember, we both serve the same God. We have the same father now. So make sure you treat him as your equal. So it's, it's, it's interesting, you know. But uh, yeah, those are my, my heroes. And more. We just don't have time. <laughs> yes. Um, I saw in an interview you did, I believe it was the NRA at some point, about the old prime minister in Jamaica, mm -hmm. Michael Manley, and you're kind of talking about how that reinforced you being conservative, your support for the Second Amendment, well, our Second Amendment. I was wondering if you could speak a bit more about that and the importance of firearms and all that and the state of that right now. So most people don't know that the first gun confiscation programs or laws really were against black people that black people couldn't own guns and then the other thing that most people don't know is that Martin Luther King Jr. himself applied for a concealed carry <laughs> permit and he was told no because he did not have good character they said furthermore the fastest growing gun owning segment are women. Do you know who? Yes, black women. Black women. So, and, and then other people don't realize that there are black gun manufacturers, black ammo manufacturers, black gun shop owners, you know, and, and so they try to say that this you know gun owning is a white thing and so therefore as we say in the south all y'all are racist you know but that's okay don't worry they call me a white supremacist so it's all right <laughs> 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 
I know it doesn't make any sense, but... <laughs> so we have a Second Amendment right, and we're not going to give it up. It's really that simple. And they're not going to be on our side. And here's something else that I've noticed is that they're hypocrites because they either live in gated communities or they live where they're secure or they have security. And so if anything happens, they can just say, security, you know, or they have bodyguards, you know, it's, 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 so we're not falling for that. What did I say? They're going to talk. They're going to say what they're going to say. What has changed? They've always been this way. So we say what we're going to say. They're going to say what they're going to say. And that's all right. It'll die down, and then something else will happen, and it'll bubble back up again. Because have you noticed that as terrible as Uvalde has been, last night we were talking about January 6th. So the media is telling us what's important. We're not falling for that hat trick anymore. They're not going to love us. They're not going to be our friends. When I went to the NRA and spoke, I also have a First Amendment right to speak. I was already scheduled to speak. The NRA are not mass murderers. When I looked out in the audience, they looked like you. There were white women and black women, Asian women, Latino women, women who were great-grandmothers, women who were still single, not mothers, women who, nieces and nephews and all, nieces and, uh, no, not nephews, that's the other thing. But you know what I mean. They are the NRA. I belong to the National African American Gun Owners Association. Yes, yes. And so on this month's magazine front, black magazine, black gun owners, there are three young women, I think they between 18 and 20, maybe, and they all have AR-15s. You see what I mean? So we're changing that narrative because I am tired of hearing about black people and the only time I hear about them is in connection with some crime or other. No, no. We are law-abiding people and we're not going to let anybody tell our story anymore. It's as simple as that. And by the way, my chief of staff Took a, note, took a look at my speech and realized that when I spoke to the NRA, 4.7% of my speech, that's how good she is, she's a math major, 4.7% of my speech was about gun rights. The rest of it was about the things that are wrong in America. And do you know what the Washington Post said? She, is, she supports gun rights. That's it. So... You know what I do? Something else. I'm a duck. It all washes over me. I'm tired. Tired of it. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, I am an intern on the Hill, and especially now with all these lot of political unrest and lots of unfortunate events going on right now, what is your advice to young people like me who are just starting public careers on the Hill or in politics? Think about it. You're much further along than I ever was. You're doing things at your age that I, I, I had no intention of doing. And this is what I'm saying. I tried to plan my life and it didn't work out the way that I would have wanted it to. And, and so it, you just keep going. You're going to have trouble. Accept that and keep going. Nobody's saying you have to be brave all the time. Nobody's saying that, you know, you're not going to shed a tear every now and then because you're wondering why you're so misunderstood. It's going to happen because you're human and we have tears. God gave us a tears for a reason. Sometimes you'll cry mad. 
because you're so angry that that's what you do. So you cry and you you work it out. You you go ahead and you move on. You get up and you you keep going. And if you have to get out of the game for a little bit, then do so and then get back in. You know, I mean, this thing will eat you up. And and some of us are not meant to be in it for a long time. And some of us are. And some of us wish we didn't. Uh, so know which one of those you are. And but it's just like anything else. Look, if you were a teacher, it would eat you up too. I mean, you have to deal with us as parents. <laughs> and then you have to deal with administration. If you are a doctor, you have to deal with the patients. And we don't care how much learning you have. Because when we're hurting, we're hurting. And we're going to lash out. If you are a mechanic, we're going to say, you're cheating us. Where's the part? <laughs> and why does it have to cost so much? I mean, no matter if you're a mother, heavens, you know. I even had to tell my mother one time when she came to visit. You know, it's a wonder the kids aren't dead yet. <laughs> you know, hold the baby ten. <laughs> Did you feed the child? What is the kid? Mom. You know, she only had one, me. I had three. So I think I have more experience. And then one day I said to her, you know, if you were going to be this worried, why'd you only have one? Because, I mean, you don't even have a spare. Suppose something happened to me. <laughs> you know? Where would you be? So, just keep going. Remember, no matter what you choose, there's always going to be some, someone, some, something, some, you know, to tear you down. It's life. It is not paradise. It's life. So, as my father or somebody else said, buck up. <laughs> Hi, um, thank you for being yeah. here. Um, I just have a question. So I know politics can be, you know, we've been talking like all day about how politics is really toxic, um, especially for a conservative and, um, you know, like life can be really tough. Um, what inspires and motivates you? Huh. You see, I'm reaching. <laughs> you know, there are certain places I, 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 just, I talk about God, and it's, that's it. I don't know how anybody else does it. I just know how I do it. So whatever inspires somebody, I guess it inspires them, but you're asking me, so I'm telling you that it's God. God inspires me. I, 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 I have to know that he's going to be there because I know no matter what they say, no matter what they do, I'm going to be just fine. That's it. Now, somebody once said, I think his name is Herbert Swoop. Let me just check. Yes, Herbert Swoop. He said, I cannot tell you the formula for success, but I can tell you the formula for failure. It's try to please everybody. You can't. I can't even please my family sometimes. So just be you. Just keep going. Just keep going. You're going to hurt. And, and sometimes it's going to really hurt. But just keep going. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Hi, Katie Gorka. So next Wednesday night, the Fairfax County School Board is going to vote on a new handbook for student rights and responsibilities. And they're probably going to approve, one of the new rules will be that children as young as kindergarten can be punished if they use the wrong pronouns. So this is concerning because it's a violation of the First Amendment, but it's equally concerning because it seems like they're really trying to mainstream transgender ideology. What more can we do to stop this? from seeping into our schools? Number one, and not in any special order, number one, 
you can let everyone as much as possible know that this is going to happen and have them come out and protest. You're not going to protest at the school board members' homes because that would be illegal. And as you know, our side will get imprisoned. The other side won't, but our side will. So we will abide by the law. Number two, offer yourself as a candidate for the school board. Number three, work for the person who's offering themselves as a candidate. Volunteer. Do all that you can do. And number five, take them out of the public schools if you have the ability. Uh, someone said to me just yesterday, Winsome, if I have to work, no. It, if I have to work three or four jobs, to put my child in private school, that's what I'm going to do, or I would have done to keep them from that kind of nonsense. And then also the Senate is up. The Senate is up next year. We need one more vote so that we can vote against that kind of nonsense. But if we're not willing to see change, it's not going to happen. Change, as they say, begins with us. As a former president once said, you are the change you're looking for. As another president said, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? You want change? Got to work for it. It's really that simple because it will happen. But, you know, if people have children in the, in the public schools and until we can get these other changes done and, you know, they're willing to let these things happen, then they will continue to happen. We are in not a democracy, but a constitutional republic. We're a nation of laws. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. One question. One question? Okay. Hi, um, my name is Katie, and I'm also an intern here this summer. Um, I think everyone in this room would agree with me, but I really admire your faith. Um, I feel like it's very rare for someone in politics to not only make it a priority, but a part of what you do. Um, so what advice would you give to students who are looking to do a similar career, and how can we incorporate our faith in our daily life like you do? Well, just keep, keep being you. You know, I, I don't throw God into everything, but I do throw God into everything. I mean, I, I, I think they know enough about me to know that that's who I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think how to tell you. I, you know, sometimes I'll throw out a Bible verse and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'll say, well, you know, I thank God this and sometimes I don't. But I think there is a certain, you know, I think they just kind of see it in you. And remember, Stephen, it says that they saw an angelic look on Stephen's face and they stoned him anyway. Right? So that just is an example that things are going to happen. And, you know, just because you're a Christian or whatever, it's not going to always work out the way that you intended to. I, I was just thinking about today, just about uh, Elijah. Remember, Elijah was crying to the Lord and saying, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left who serves you. And God said to him, no, Elijah, there are 7,000. 7,000 who have not bended the knee. Now, me being me and being ornery, I, I asked, well, why didn't Elijah know that there were 7,000? Why didn't he know? Where were the 7,000? What were they doing? Were they hiding? Were they cowering in fear? Where were they when they could have been there helping Elijah? You see? So 
What does, what does that tell you? The same things happened back then. Same things happen now. You can't find the people, you know. Uh, sometimes it's you and sometimes it's, you know. Because actually, you couldn't find me either. Because when I left the political stage, I left. It was time for somebody else. I've answered all the Miss Universe questions for world peace. I don't, you know, I'm, you know, you know, it's yes, uh, leave me alone. Uh, go find, don't call me for an endorsement. I don't know you. You know, I'm just being real. I'm done. That my time is over. And by the way, you're not going to win. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you leave, you know, you don't really care anymore. So but you know that's that that's the way it is and but but i don't have children in the public schools anymore and but here i am concerned because here's the thing i have to live under these rules these laws that they're pushing on me and they're telling us stupidity that a man can have an abortion and and the media doesn't say anything about it. You see what I mean? So if you are waiting for the media to be your friend, good luck with that. Now, you see me standing here, and I am not this pillar of strength. I'm not. I just know that there is no one greater than God, and he'll make it right somehow. The ill that they speak about me, he'll work it out somehow. It is not my job to do that. I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do and let him do the rest. I was telling my prayer group this morning, I wanted to, I've been invited to Liberia, and I'm going to finish with this. I was invited to go to Liberia. And I'm thinking, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. How does that help? You know, they're in Liberia. I'm in America. I don't, you know, I don't need to go, you know. <laughs> And then I said, but you know, the Lord knows that if I'm missing, missing it, then he'll let me know. And apparently it was planned, what, three months ago that I would go to this dinner at this African restaurant. And I get to the restaurant and the woman, you know, she, the owner of it was telling us her story and how she was helped uh, when Liberia was experiencing civil war there was one more flight out of Liberia, and she hopped on it, got to America with just a backpack on her back, no money, and she was at JFK, and she was crying and trembling because what does she do now? She knows no one. And she said a woman came to her with a thick Jamaican accent and said to her, what is wrong with you, sister? And she said, I'm in America. I just got off the plane. I have no money. All I have is my backpack. And the woman said to her, you come home with me. I'm going to finish my shift. She, get, she brought her some food, and then she took her home. Guess where she's from, This the, the woman who came from the plane? She's from Liberia, right? She left Liberia. And then I said to her, and, and what was the name of the Jamaican woman that helped you? And she said, Jerusa. I said, like Jerusalem? Yes, Jerusa. And then she talked about her life, and it sounded like my story coming to America. It was exactly like mine, except she did it at 23, and I did it at 6. And so I called my husband. I said, well, I guess we're going to Liberia. <laughs> you see what I mean? So what I'm saying to you is, you're not going to miss it. Why? Because he orders your steps. This is why I tell you when you ask the story about inspiration, I can't tell you how other people do it. I just know how I do it. So they're going to say, oh, there goes the Christian. It's okay. It works for me. And you can say whatever you want to say. Last thing. A new quote that I have from Stephen Covey. You know, he's a leadership 
fully into leadership principles, and this is what he says. I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. So don't blame the things that happen to you on the circumstances or get the credit. No, it's your decisions. Your decisions make you. Your decisions make you. Your decisions make you. Remember that. And God bless you. And God bless our great United States of America. Thank you.